This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Jesus is saying, in the same way that God came, laid in a manger, lived life on earth, walked with you for three years, died on a cross, rose again from the dead, in the same way God is going to come again, but now he's gonna be in you and reminding you of all the things I have said and done and taught. So the Spirit is the Spirit of God in Christ. The Spirit is sent by the Father and sent by the Son. And thirdly, we see that the Spirit works with the Father and works with the Son in equal measure. As our world gets worse and worse every day, is there any hope in sight? With wars raging and cities burning, will it ever stop? Today in his message, Pastor Josh shows you how to overcome the pain and suffering of this world, accepting God's free gift of grace. Nothing on this earth will leave with you invest in what will, and be saved from your mistakes. Let God's light shine through you and pierce the darkness that has defined your life. Take the hand of Jesus as He lifts you out of the sewage of this world. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of John chapter 16, as he begins his message, The Person. We're going to be looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I think for some of you, this will be nothing new, but a much needed reminder nonetheless of the very active God who is with us and in us, even now in the world. And for some of you, I hate to say it, but some of you might recognize that you have confined the Holy Spirit into a theological box who has really no bearing on the reality of of your life in a spiritual way. And it's my prayer for you that you might meet him through through the scripture that he himself inspired in a way that brings the Spirit's work to life inside of you, afresh and anew. But I'm looking forward to our time together. It's going to be more casual, and uh, I'm looking forward to even as we move through the study, we're going to be experiencing some time of just extended worship and letting the Holy Spirit minister to us and among us. I'm going to tell you ahead of time that you might want to bring some sort of journal or notepad. (laughs) I think I counted like 35 verses or something in my study. We got a lot of Bible. If that's not okay with you, we'll talk later. (laughs) We got a lot of Bible, um, and it's the only place to look to get an accurate picture of who this Holy Spirit is. We're going to study the person of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to ask ourselves basically the question, who is he? What is his nature? What are the characteristics that describe who he is? We're going to be looking, secondly, at the purpose of the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? What is his role in the world and in the believer? And we're going to look then at the products of the Spirit. Obviously, you might come jump automatically to the book of Galatians where the fruit of the Spirit is described, and we're going to take a a pretty in-depth look at what the Spirit produces in our lives and through His ministry. And then we're going to take a look at the power of the Spirit. We're going to talk about what it means to walk in the Spirit, to be baptized in the Spirit, the spiritual gifts, how they manifest themselves, what they're used for. And so I think this is going to be a great time together. To embark on a series about the Holy Spirit is certainly one of the most intimidating of topics for a pastor. It's 
Of course, the Spirit of God is everywhere. (laughs) When you open the Scripture, the second verse of the Bible, you see the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters as the creation was taking place. You move all the way to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. And at the very end, what do we read? The Spirit and the bride say, come. He's at the beginning. He's at the end. There's a good reason for that, of course. But the Holy Spirit is typically today, I think, one of the most avoided, not only people, persons of the Trinity, but subjects within churches and within pastoral preaching. In many churches, he is either ignored. In other churches, the Holy Spirit is, by name, heavily abused by practice, by things that are way out of line, misrepresent certainly his character, his nature, and the scripture that he has inspired. Certainly, Jesus is the centerpiece of our faith, but that doesn't make the Holy Spirit any less God, any less worthy of worship or our attention, or certainly, I think that for many people, they might even honestly admit as a Christian, the Holy Spirit is probably one of the topics you're most ignorant about, about who he is and what he does and why we need him. We could say this about the, the Trinity and certainly about the Spirit, that if we look at the Father, God the Father, we would say that God the Father is God above us. Jesus the Son is Emmanuel, God with us. And the Holy Spirit is God within us. In fact, Jesus made a statement that would forever change the trajectory of humanity's experience with God. To those who walked with Jesus on the earth, Life without Jesus would have been unimaginable. Imagine you spent three years of your life walking with Jesus. You've given up everything to follow him. And then he dies. And of course, when he rose from the dead, you might remember the story of Mary in the garden. She sees him, she thinks he's the gardener. When she finally recognizes who he is, what does she do? Does anyone remember? She runs to him and what? She grabs him. She clings to him. Why? Because she doesn't want to let Jesus go. How amazing was it for Mary that after she let him go, that later on the day of Pentecost, she would wake up the next morning only to find him inside of her heart by the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verses 6 through 7, He talked about his death, his crucifixion, and he said, because I have said these things to you, speaking to his disciples, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is paraclete in the Greek, to come alongside, the one who comes alongside, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, Jesus said, I will send him to you. He said, you think that life with me was good. You've only scratched the surface because it is actually better than I'm leaving. The very essence of God will be in every believer in all of the world throughout all of time, uniting the body of Christ, bringing forth the kingdom of God. Incredible and powerful truth. Reminded me though, when we think about the Holy Spirit, So many pictures and thoughts come to people's minds based on your history, based on how you were raised in the church. If you're not a believer, you're a new believer, you might even be thinking, I don't even understand any of this. It does remind me of the little girl who knelt by her bed to pray, and at the end of the long day, she closed her prayer. I pray all these things in the name of the Father, 
And the son, she paused for a minute because she just couldn't remember who it was that came next. And finally she said, oh, and the other guy who helps you out. Yeah, the, the, the horsey spirit. Sadly, though, a lot of times when it comes to the Holy Spirit, a lot of people are horsing around. I'll tell you up front, I'm a charismatic. I've been baptized in the Spirit. I speak in tongues. I believe in supernatural gifts. But I confess that a lot of what goes on today in the name of God, the Holy Ghost, is plain weird and worse, way outside of scriptural bounds. There's no mention in the scripture of the church or the church in the confines of God's holy word of people blowing on each other, slaying each other in the spirit, barking like dogs, laughing uncontrollably, gold dust filling the air, dental fillings turning into gold, etc., etc., so on and so forth. And when most people see these antics in the name of God, it only adds to their skittishness towards the person of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer summarized the tragedy that's occurred. He said, Satan has opposed the doctrine of the spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any other doctrine there is. He has confused it and opposed it and surrounded it with false notions and fears. He has blocked every effort of the church of Christ to receive from the Father. This incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. But we must remember during this series that our The statement that we need the Holy Spirit is not just Josh's opinion. Jesus told us that we need the Holy Spirit. We cannot be saved, sanctified, empowered, or used by God without the Holy Spirit active in our lives. A.W. Tozer once wrote this, again, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know. Think about that for a minute. I believe most Christians do want a deeper experience with God. They just don't want to go off the deep end. They need to receive the Spirit, but ignorance and misconception and fear keeps their hearts from opening to Him. So who is the Holy Spirit we're going to ask that question about the personality, the identity, the character, and the nature of the Holy Spirit. Who is he? And why is it so important for us to know biblically who the Holy Spirit is? I think R.A. Torrey summed it up really well. Listen to this. He said, if we think of the Holy Spirit only as an impersonal power or influence or force, then our thought will constantly be, how can I get a hold of the Holy Spirit and use him? But if we think of him in the biblical way, as a divine person, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely tender, then our thought will constantly be, how can the Holy Spirit get a hold of me and use me? That's why we need to know who he is. We need an awe of God the Spirit that drives us to a desperate pursuit to be in his hands, to be filled with his power, to walk in his will. All right, you guys got your notes ready? (laughs) If I see you falling asleep on me, I'm going to shout real loud. (laughs) We're going to go to school here. I want to break down the nature and the person of the Holy Spirit in three basic points tonight. First, we're going to look at the fact that the Holy Spirit is divine, yet individual. He is 
In equal measure, as the ancient church fathers would say, the very essence of God, equal in nature and in power and authority with God the Father, God the Son, and yet he has an individual characteristic and role as God in his ministry. He is a person. He is individual in how he relates to us. So first I want to talk about his divine nature. We would say this, in looking at the unity of the Godhead and the person of the Holy Spirit, that number one, we find God's, God the Spirit's divinity in that the Bible describes him as the Holy Spirit of God and describes him as the Holy Spirit of Christ. Both titles are ascribed to him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, we read, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, speaking of us as Christians. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Interesting, the same spirit is the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ. There's a triunity where the Father, Son, and Spirit are one in mind, in essence, in thought, in nature. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 119, he said, I know all this will turn out for my, for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. So we see this beautiful picture throughout the Bible, the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ. Secondly, we see his divinity in that the father, the spirit is, is sent by the father and also sent by the son. John 14 verses 16 through 18, Jesus' prayer regarding the Holy Spirit. He said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper of the same, the word helper, another helper in the Greek, it means a helper of the same kind. So Jesus would say, in the same nature, in the same way as I have come, so that the helper will come. And he says, the Father will send him the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you and then Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Wait, wait a minute. The Father is going to send the helper of the same kind, and he's going to be in me. But Jesus, then Jesus says, I'm coming to you. you get, well, who is it? Yes. Yes. It's the nature, the essence of God in us. John 16, verse 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I told you this already. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So first he says, I pray to the Father that he will send you the helper. Then Jesus says, I'm going to send you the helper. And by the way, it's just going to be me coming to you and being inside of you. And then in John 15, verse 26, we read, but when the helper comes, Jesus again speaking, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Are you seeing a, tr a Trinity uh, idea in all of these statements? Jesus talks about himself. He talks about the Father. He talks about the spirit. He says, the Father's sending you the spirit. I'm sending you the spirit. The spirit will live inside of you, the spirit of truth, which comes from the Father. And um, by the way, I'm coming to you. And I'll, it's like, what is going on? Jesus is saying, in the same way that God came, laid in a manger, lived life on earth, walked with you for three years, died on a cross, rose again from the dead, in the same way God is going to come again, but now he's going to be in you and reminding you of all the things I have said and done and taught. So the Spirit is the Spirit of God in Christ. The Spirit is sent by the Father and sent by the Son. And thirdly, we see that the Spirit works with the Father and works with the Son in equal measure. 
We see this at the beginning in creation. I read it to you earlier, but Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, check out the Trinity in the very first three verses of the Bible. In the beginning, who created? God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now notice, and the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of God? It's the Holy Spirit, hovered over the face of the waters. Then God said, the Father, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we have the Spirit hovering over the We have the Father speaking. Well, where's Jesus? Then God said, what do you use to say things? They're called words. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. First three verses of the Bible. You have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Spirit working in perfect unity and power to create the heavens and the earth. But also there's a beautiful work of the Trinity in the work of redemption. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 we read, how much more shall the blood of Christ, the Son, through the eternal Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Offer himself without spot to God, the Father, and cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The work of the Spirit was in the work of redemption as God, the Father. The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So again, you can't can't divide these. Does our mind comprehend this idea? No, not on the level that we fully understand. But all throughout Scripture we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect unity working together to accomplish God's will in the earth. And so there's this divine attribute of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit isn't just a force. He is a person of God who was from the beginning, who will be to the end, who worked with God, who worked in creating the world, who worked in saving mankind, who works through and in his people today. But regarding the nature of God, we see that he is divine. He is one with the triune nature of God. But also notice that the Holy Spirit is also uniquely, shall I say, individual. Not that he's separated from God or different than God in any way, but he has a unique role, a unique personality. I think it is sad today that many people treat the Holy Spirit as though he is a force, right? There's probably a good reason everyone's favorite movie is Star Wars, you know? Holy Spirit, you know, I just wheeled him around, kind of. There are others that would say, well, the Spirit's not a force, but he's, he's really just an expression of God's power. No, the Holy Spirit is a personality, an individual who works with the will and power of God. Be careful here. We, we seem to be into a culture that's all into personal pronouns these days. Well, it's interesting in the, in the Gospel of John, four separate occasions, you have the word spirit. It's the word pneuma in the Greek. I'll be talking about that in a moment. But the, the word spirit in the Greek is a, it's a, it's a gender neutral word, right? There's no, spirit is just, it's not male, it's not female. In the gender, it's, it's called the neuter, okay? The neuter form, But in the Gospel of John, four separate times, 
John ascribes a masculine Greek pronoun to a neuter noun and calls the Holy Spirit him. When he, now this doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is a man, but the Holy Spirit identifies as a person within the masculine. The, the Holy Spirit is not called it, but he. And let's explore just a few personal attributes that the scripture communicates to us about the personality of the Holy Spirit. First of all, we see that the Spirit has emotion. The Spirit has emotion. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 tells us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So we're told that the Spirit can be saddened, literally brought to grief. We'll talk about more how we grieve the Holy Spirit in the days to come. But the Spirit can be grieved. He has emotion. Hebrews chapter 10, 29, chapter 10, verse 29 tells us the Holy Spirit can be insulted. He can be insulted. You can insult the Spirit of grace by denying the cross of Jesus. It's like a slap in the face. Secondly, we see that the Holy Spirit has intelligence, thought process. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, but God has revealed these things to us through his Spirit. Notice, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. Spirit thinks, processes, searches. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 tells us that the Holy Spirit teaches us. It's an intelligent action. He teaches us the things of Christ. The Spirit, number three, has interaction. People can interact with the Holy Spirit of God all throughout the Bible. Old Testament and New, the Spirit of God would come upon people. The Spirit of God would move against people. We see in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. We all know the famous story of Ananias and Sapphira. I doubt they would teach any uh, marriage conferences. First century church. They lied to the church about how much land they owned, and they faked, you know, they pretended like they were giving all this stuff. They were keeping some, some stuff back from this, for themselves. And Peter, under most likely the influence of the Holy Spirit, says to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to... God, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. Again, the implications here practically are many. I could spend the rest of the sermon preaching on, on the context of lying to the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit can be interacted with. He can be, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he can be quenched. Acts chapter 7, verse 51, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. Acts, uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 29, the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. He's a person, the person, God in the Spirit, we can interact with him, positively or negatively. Finally, the Holy Spirit has a will. He has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11 tells us that the Spirit work, the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each person, each one, individually, as he wills. When it comes to spiritual gifts, it's the will of the Holy Spirit that decides how to impart the gifts of the Spirit to people. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, 
we're looking into what the Holy Spirit does in our lives and how that plays out in ministry. In the book of Acts, you notice that the day of Pentecost occurred, ushering in a new era for Christians, experiencing God's presence living inside of them. Jesus had physically left them, but he promised to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. As people experience God's presence in their lives, there's a different way that they live due to this powerful influence. We're told not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. May these messages that you're hearing bring you closer to God and bring about changes in you that can only be attributed to His Holy Spirit working inside you. If you'd like to hear additional messages from this series called Ministry of the Spirit, go to TheAscendingLife.com and click on the Media tab. The Ascending Life Ministry is an outpouring of what's going on at Grace Calvary in St. Joseph, Missouri. Our heart is for people to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to learn more about Pastor Josh? Simply hop onto our website, theascendinglife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's theascendinglife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. But that's all the time we have for today. Make plans to join us again because there's more to learn about God and His Spirit right here on The Ascending Life. We're